Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today is Wednesday, February 17th. Retail sales are up, tech stocks are down, and we're focused on the frozen fallout in Texas. Nearly 3 million Texans are without power right now, despite freezing or near-freezing temperatures in major metro areas like Dallas, Austin, and Houston. And a lot of those homes have been without heat for three days, with at least 21 deaths so far attributed to the cold. Now, the most important thing to know is that these power outages aren't because of Texas's reliance on wind power or on natural gas or because of deregulation or bad management or climate change. It's because of all of it. Wind turbines, for example, can work in the cold, but Texas's weren't winterized, so a bunch of them froze representing around 13% of the outages. A much bigger percentage of the outages, though, came because the temperatures made it very difficult to pump natural gas to the surface, which in turn shut down power plants that rely on that gas. And all of that led to rolling blackouts and continued outages. Now, if other states other than Texas had been hit with these problems, they'd likely solve it by tapping reserve capacity or borrowing power from neighboring states. But Texas doesn't keep extra capacity on call in an effort to keep prices low, and it doesn't partner with its neighbors because, well, independence. The bottom line is that this was a perfect storm, and the question now is if it was a one-off or the sort of extreme weather that states like Texas must get used to and prepare for. To better answer that question, we turn to Andrew Friedman, deputy weather editor at The Washington Post. So Andrew, let's start big picture here on what's happening in Texas Why is this storm kind of seemingly so uniquely destructive? Yeah, so this storm, this Arctic blast really is unique in the sense that it's probably the worst that they've seen, that we've seen since the late 1980s, in some cases, worst meaning coldest. And it's uh, unique in the sense that it's also setting some all-time temperature records. And it seems that the operators of the electricity grid just didn't either didn't take the warning seriously or did not adequately prepare for how big of an event this was. From a meteorologist standpoint, I mean, was what we've seen over the last couple of days, was it predicted well enough in advance or did it legitimately take people by surprise? It was predicted well in advance. Um, I was just going through some data from the Weather Service to answer that question. And it looked like they started highlighting it more than a week in advance. And some private sector uh, meteorologists who work for energy companies uh, were highlighting it even before that. You obviously write a lot about climate, climate change. Should we be interpreting what's happening in Texas right now as part of kind of a broader climate narrative? Or is this a one-off? As you said, in, in the late 80s, there was a major cold streak in the same area. So it's a little bit complicated. There are some uh, studies that show that as uh, the Arctic warms rapidly, uh, the jet stream is becoming more unstable, tending to become more wavy, and you get these incursions of polar air down south. That is really up for debate still. Um, It's more a climate narrative because power companies and operators of grids are going to have to really prepare for events that they hadn't seen before. So their assumption that they prepare only for, you know, events that they've seen in the past, that's gone out the window now. 
Um, so the heat waves are worse. Some of the cold snaps they're still going to see. Um, they're going to see more variability from year to year, from month to month, from week to week. And that has implications for how they design the infrastructure. The other thing, uh, too, is in terms of like a cold snap, these things are happening uh, less frequently than they used to. If you look at the coldest temperature every year in Dallas, Texas, for example, it's warmed up by about seven degrees Fahrenheit since 1970 only. So you're still getting cold, but it's more rare to get cold weather of this severity. So if that's the case, and, and I am uh, an energy grid executive or operator or whatever in Dallas or Houston or Austin or wherever, do I take what you just said and say, you know what, this happens once every 30 years, the expense it would take to basically winterize oil or our gas wells and our wind turbines, it's not worth it for what's the equivalent of three or four days of misery every couple decades. It's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, though, is that the climate is becoming more erratic, that there are going to be more extremes on either end, and you're going to get precipitation extremes. I mean, Hurricane Harvey, for example, you're going to get more extreme swings between heat and cold, between flood and drought. Um, so if you're an operator of a grid, you really need to be taking this, I think, quite seriously as a warning for what the future may bring, even though, you know, the cold snaps may be happening maybe a little bit milder in the future. Uh, these things are still going to happen and you, ne you need to take it seriously. Is this something that other southern states should be paying a lot of attention to? You think of places particularly that have lots of energy generation, uh, Florida, Louisiana, et cetera. Yeah, they should. I mean, sitting here where I am in Washington, D.C., we got incredibly lucky that this Arctic air uh, went due south pretty much from uh, the pole through Canada, due south into the south, into the central states and in the south. It did not move east in a way that computer models thought initially that it might. So we're in, you know, the 20s and 30s. We could be in below zero here. So I, I think that everybody should be looking at this um, and thinking about what would happen if it affected their state. When it comes to the energy grid and power availability in Texas, Texas obviously gets extremely hot every summer, at least for parts of every summer, which requires an enormous amount of power because of air conditioning. Is it that the heat power requirements were much higher than those AC requirements are? Or was it, no, they're about the same, but because of the freezing, X percent of the, of the generating assets went offline, and that's the problem? So it's more that the cost of natural gas skyrocketed because of anticipating this cold snap. Uh, supplies went down. Infrastructure went down because it was so cold. And it's not designed for this type of cold. And, I mean, you know, the politicians on the right are blaming frozen windmills. But the fact is that wind is, is a minority still in Texas's generation mix. This was really a failure of baseload power to come up and really save them. So that's thermal plants, that's coal, that's natural gas, that's what they were looking to, and that failed. How much of it also was this idea that in a lot of other states, they've got different sorts of backup plans from an energy capacity standpoint, either 
they basically pay generators to be on call, essentially, to produce more power, which does increase rates for everybody throughout the year. It's kind of like an insurance policy and or can borrow power from neighboring states, neither of which is true in Texas. Yeah, I mean, the Texas grid is (laughs) it's a successionist thing. It's like, you know, they've designed their grid to be independent from other grids. So they cannot call on other states and say, we need to buy X number of megawatts and ship it over here on these power lines. You don't have those connections. So they don't have that insurance policy. Their insurance policy was really their base load power capacity. And it got outstripped by demand. And it also got outstripped by the cold. Andrew, final question for you. How much longer should people in Texas expect it to be kind of freezing temperatures? And how much longer should those without power expect to be without power? Yeah, so Texas, the cold finally is going to start easing by tomorrow. In the next several days, you're going to be back up above freezing, uh, including in Dallas. Uh, There's one more round of wintry precipitation coming through tonight, uh, and then there's relief. Problem is nobody really knows how long it's going to take for them to get the electricity back on. The Austin mayor has been warning it could take till this weekend. Uh, The operator of the of the electric grid has warned that in some cases it could take a month or more. However, it was a little unclear how uh, one should really interpret that comment. It may still take a while. Andrew Friedman of The Washington Post, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. This is what we were listening to earlier today. That's the sound of the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City being demolished with 3,000 sticks of dynamite 37 years after it first opened. The 34-story dilapidated building has been closed since 2014 and is now owned not by Trump, but by investor Carl Icahn, who hasn't yet said what he plans to do with the Shoreside site. Icahn, by the way, recently nixed a plan whereby people could have bid on the chance to press the detonation button with proceeds going to charity. Icon said it was over safety concerns, the button pusher being too close to the site, but it might have actually been because a crowdfunding site was trying to make Stephanie Clifford, aka Stormy Daniels, the button pusher. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Cabbage Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. <laughs>